0: Let me give you a little bit of an introduction to our reading today. Our lesson today comes from the letter of James. But who is James? There are a number of James, or Jameses, in the New Testament. Could James be the Apostle James that was one of the sons of Zebedee with his brother John, a son of thunder? Or could it be another apostle named James, or James the younger, or sometimes called James the little, depending on the translation of Scripture? Both of these Jameses have been, uh, at, at different times, have uh, scholars have sought to prove that they were the writers of this letter. But for many centuries, most people have said that this letter was written by James, the brother of Jesus. James could have been uh, the the brother, or he could have been a cousin. Now, we don't know if he was perhaps uh, a son of Joseph by an earlier marriage than Mary, or a son of Mary and Joseph. We just don't know. Or if he was just a cousin. Whatever their relationship James was one of the pillars in the Jerusalem church, and he's writing to Christians, Jewish Christians in particular, in the dispersion. That is, Christian churches throughout Syria and Palestine and throughout the Mediterranean. So as we prepare to read the letter of James, let us pray, seeking God's wisdom and God's illuminating grace. Let us pray. Almighty God, by your Holy Spirit, illumine the sacred page. We pray that our minds may be open to receive your word, our hearts taught to love it, and our wills strengthened to obey it. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our lesson comes from the letter of James, chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. You believe that God is one, you are well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you senseless person, that faith apart from works is barren? Was not our ancestor Abraham justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was brought to completion by the works. Thus the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In our lesson today and throughout the letter of James, James seems to be having a conversation with a unknown rival. Without a doubt, the conversation is a matter of great significance to all of us as it concerns the nature of true saving faith. The word of faith, the the word faith appears 15 times in the letter of James and 10 of those 15 times are in our passage today. In eight of those 15 times, faith is Seen in a, a negative sense, whether it is dead or barren. James' debating opponent seems to be defending the position that, that faith, saving faith, is merely believing in the right things. But James, James disagrees. He says that such faith is dead faith, on the other hand, is made evident by the fruit of good works. James may be engaging with an imaginary opponent in this debate, but the sad truth is, both in James's time and in our own, there are many who believe exactly as James' rival did, and with deadly consequences. There are people who are confidently claiming that they are Christians, but if we were to investigate, to go a little bit deeper, and that is not our role as Christians, but we might find that they maybe almost never go to church or find a way to connect with the church or connect in ways of serving through the church. They don't give more to the church than maybe a a token manner. And maybe even they are living lives that are openly defiant of God's will and God's law. In today's passage, James calls that kind of faith dead faith. There's a cartoon concerning a marketing sign outside a church right on the main road. It says, welcome to The Light Church, spelled L-I-T-E. 50% fewer commitments. We're home of the 5% tithe. 15-minute sermons, 45-minute worship services. We have only six commandments. You choose. We used just two spiritual laws. Everything you wanted in a church and less. Well, that... It's a little bit uncomfortable because, you know, we're trying at this time of pandemic to have 15-minute sermons and a 45-minute worship service, but I think you get the point. In contrast to the theme of in our passage, it's this: the theme in our passage is made very clear through repetition. Four times, James speaks of the kind of faith that won't save a person. The first time is in verse 14. James says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you do not have works? Can faith save you? Each question anticipates a negative answer, no. That kind of faith cannot save. This kind of faith is dead. But what James does not, Does next is most important if we are to really understand what James is getting at. Because, you see, there is danger when we talk about a kind of faith that cannot save. First of all, God is the one who saves, not even ourselves. But there is also the danger that the people who have dead faith will think that we're not talking about them, or the ones that do have faith have a tender conscience and they may find that they are filled with doubts. But James counters these concerns by offering examples of both dead and true faith. The first example of dead faith is is someone who encounters another Christian who is poorly clothed and lacks daily food. Now, it says actually in our scripture lesson that they're naked. They're not walking around naked, but they have poor clothing. They have a lack of appropriate garments. Such a uh, condition would result in both shame and the discomfort in the cold. This condition would, would only be made worse by the lack of food. When the church member with the dead faith encounters that other Christian who is hungry and cold and feeling shame, he or she answers their needs with words only. Go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill. The issue, of course, is such a response to the needs of someone in that those kinds of dire straits is the lack of really any help whatsoever. James assumes that this well-wishing church member has something that they could offer to the desperate needs of the poor Christian. But outside of selfishness, he prefers to keep his money to himself. His heart is unmoved by the desperate plight of another. And devout-sounding words are used to cover perhaps guilt and not giving. Because, you see, it would be, someone would feel truly guilty if they were to say the truth. The truth like, I'm not going to help you because then I would have less money for myself. I value the size of my bank account more than your needs. James' second example of dead faith surprisingly consists of Satan's demons. In verse 19, James sarcastically writes, you believe that God is one. You do well. But then he drops the balm. Even the demons believe and shudder. James points out that the demons believe all the right things about God. Their faith is even enough to produce a response. They believe God and they are terrified by God's power. Theirs too is, though, a dead faith. Why? Their faith drives them away from God, not towards God. But true faith, it draws us closer to God and gifts us with a greater love for God. Dead faith seeks refuge in the wrong things. But dead faith can be destroyed by true faith. Our lesson from James gives an example of this kind of faith that does save His example is an obvious one to the audience to whom he writes. James lifts Abraham, Father Abraham, the the patriarch of the Jewish people, as an example of true faith. Of the many examples of faith in the life of Abraham, James chooses Abraham's act of offering Isaac on an altar that you can read more about in Genesis chapter 22. Abraham shows that true faith requires trusting God with everything, even those things that are most precious to us. Do you remember the story of Abraham and Isaac? Even though God had promised Abraham that he would be a father of a multitude, he and his wife Sarah were childless and old before Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90 when Sarah became pregnant with Isaac. Isaac's an appropriate name because Isaac means laughter. How else do you describe the sight of a pregnant 90-year-old woman? And Sarah had laughed when she was in the tent and she overheard God tell Abraham that she would be pregnant for the very first time. And even though Sarah laughed, and she only laughed to herself, God had heard her. Isaac would be the only child born to them. But then God asks Abraham, to sacrifice this child of the promise to God. The author of Hebrews tells us that Abraham believed that God would bring Isaac back to life. But God didn't have to, because God interrupted the sacrifice and provided a substitute ram in the place of Isaac. Nevertheless, it is still the case that Abraham was willing to give what was most precious to him. And remember, Jesus tells us, as he told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. To be clear, neither James nor Jesus are saying that faith requires perfect obedience. Let's be clear about that. While Abraham is used as an example by James as an example of true faith, Abraham is just as well noted for his rather spectacular, spectacular failures. At one point, for example, he gave his wife Sarah to the local king, saying that she was his sister to save himself. But Abraham did believe, and James quotes this famous verse from Genesis 15.6 Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now the apostle Paul used that same verse to support his doctrine of justification by faith. That doctrine says that God declares a purchase, a person righteous by faith and faith alone apart from works how then is James not in conflict with Paul where Paul says that we are justified by faith alone James says that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone verse 24 in our reading today despite appearances Paul and James are not contradicting one another They are speaking to different audiences and with different emphases. You see, Paul insists that faith and works are different things, that they must be kept separate when we think about our standing, yours and mine, before God. But James, James insists that faith and works are inseparable. Paul is reprimanding people who think that salvation is accomplished by doing the work of the law. And so it's important for you and me to see that Paul is, Paul's faith alone is far from being genuine Christian faith when that faith alone is merely talk without action. And James, James would have no argument with Paul as Paul stresses that it is faith expressing itself through love that counts. All this talk, all this talk about faith and works is important. But we must never, ever forget that the foundation of our Christian faith is resurrection. Resurrection. And yes, even dead faith can come alive. This is likely James' desire for issuing issuing this criteria in his letter so that others would know that, that when faith is dead, They would know it, and that they would become doers and movers as well. I would like to end this message by reading a portion of an older Reader's Digest article. The article is titled Mama Hale and Her Little Angels. The baby will not stop screaming. On the third floor of a brownstone in New York City's Harlem, a woman holds the two week old infant in her arms. The little body trembles and twitches with pain, but Clara Hale has no medicine to offer against that agony unless you count love. In an old Brentwood rocker, she soothes the hurting child. I love you, and God loves you, she promises. Your mother loves you too, but she's sick right now, like you are. She coaxes the baby to nurse at a bottle, she bathes the child, coons softly, tries a little patty cake game. After a while maybe you get a smile, she tells a visitor, so you know the baby's trying too. You keep loving it, and you wait. Clara Hale is 79 years old, a tiny bird-like woman with nut-brown skin and a curly halo of white hair. The baby craves something he doesn't understand, she exclaims. The something is heroin, and it takes a month before the baby is cleansed of the addiction that began in his mother's womb. A physician, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, and a social worker have examined the infant and written a prescription the same one mrs hale found by instinct 15 years ago when she started cradling such drug-poisoned babies the prescription lots of patience and calm mixed with megadoses of love her cure works that is just the beginning of being one of Mama Hale's children. The story of Clara Hale spending a lifetime caring for other women's children is an amazing one. In a fifth floor walk-up she raised 40 foster children as well as three of her own and now she operated at the time of the article Hale House, a unique haven in the heart of drug darkness of New York City, Harlem. At the time of the article, when it had been written, she had cared for 487 children, babies of addicts. Mama Hale would understand, I believe, Paul's and James's point in our lesson today. Faith without works is dead. She put her faith into practice. And so, brothers and sisters, after all this talk, guess what? We will be able to do that. I will be able to do that. Or I'm called to do that. And so are you. Genuine faith is never indifferent but it always is looking for a place to be involved. And there are places even in this time of pandemic to get involved at St. Stephen's. If you're struggling with a way to get involved, don't hesitate to speak with someone, call one of the pastors, please call me. I'm extension 104 in our church phone number. It is my prayer for me as well as for you that we will rise in the strength of the Holy Spirit even in this challenging and difficult time and we will put our love and our faith in practice by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God. May all God's people say, Amen.